Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Well, I am excited to be here. Yeah, the last time I was here, we were in a little storefront, and um, you could hear everything. So it wasn't hard to prophesy, because <laughs> you heard everybody's secrets. I'm excited to be here this morning. I am on loan to you from my amazing wife, Grace, and my beautiful daughter, Gemma, uh, from Houston, Texas. So um, for those of you who are not familiar with my ministry, God bless you. I hope you're in for an adventure today. Um, But they've loaned me out. I try to keep it as biblical as possible. I am the husband of one wife. Amen. So I got that on lock. That's good. That's going pretty well. So I feel like I'm qualified. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get it on like Donkey Kong. How does that sound? Good? Let me, let me help you out this morning. Um, being weird and quiet and waiting for your word doesn't work. Okay? Don't worry about, like, should I move? Should I not move? Do I look at him? Do I not look at him? Just be normal, okay? We're, we're, we're good. My prayer is that you receive everything that the Holy Spirit has for you this morning. Um, I'm not coming to you as a prophet this morning. That doesn't mean I won't prophesy, but I'm just telling you, I'm not coming to you as a prophet this morning. I'm coming to you as two things this morning. And my prayer is that you receive me in both of these roles. One is as a surgeon to come and do some heart surgery. And the second is as a mortician. That we're gonna kill some things and we're gonna let some things die this morning. Amen? So close your eyes and bow your head so Jesus can hear you. Lord, help. (laughs) Lord, help me. Help me help these people. (laughs) Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for all your kindness, all your love, that you started this divine romance that we get to participate in. Father, I pray this morning for hearts and minds in the room that people would be ready, that they would be open, Holy Spirit, to what you're getting ready to do. Father, that people would not erect walls of self-defense, but that we would surrender any walls that we've allowed to be built through being hurt, rejected, um, from having secret issues going on. Lord, anything that would erect walls from receiving what you have for us this morning, we surrender that. Father, and we ask you to knock our walls down and to pierce our hearts this afternoon. In your name we pray, amen. Now, there's going to be times during my message where you think you're mad at me, but you're not, okay? I'm helping, I'm helping y'all out. There may be moments, and it's not because I'm going to say something offensive, but there may be moments during this message where things rise up to the surface in your heart that remind you of baggage, of past pain or current pain or things you're hanging on to. And I just want to invite you this morning, let the Holy Spirit do his work. Let him heal you this morning. Because where we're going as the body of Christ, there's just some things that God wants to clean up in our lives. Amen? There's some things where God's looking at us saying, hey, I've got a mighty revival set apart for the body of Christ. I've got a mighty revival set up for Eagle Pass. But the Lord's saying, I want to make the church ready to contain the revival. See, God loves the lost so much that he won't send them to your church. Not until we're ready. 
He values the lost so highly that he won't risk their eternal position on Christians that don't know how to love well. And how many of you know that we could take lifelong lessons on how to love people? We all, no matter the level of your maturity in Christ, no matter how long you've been saved, we all need to learn to love better. Amen? Well, a few of you like that. The rest of you, there's a Catholic service down the road that you can attend right now if you just want to do the deal and go home. Amen. But we're going to go a different direction. Every message that I preach, the Holy Spirit has given me through a dream or through a vision. I don't preach anything that didn't come out of a prophetic storehouse because that's my portion in life. God called me to be a prophet. So that's how he speaks to me is out of the prophetic. Not just me. Any message that your pastor brings to you on a Sunday morning is prophetic because he sought the heart of the Father and the Lord spoke to him out of that place of intimacy to bring a message to you to encourage you. So everything's prophetic. I'm just letting you all know. It's not all old English. We haven't compartmentalized it all to be thus thou verily unto thee this day the Lord hath said unto thou. That's great, but that's just a version of the Bible. None of that makes you accurate. I meet people that believe they're prophets simply because they speak in old English or because they're crabby and everybody's in sin. So they're just like, everyone's sinning. Have you ever been to one of those services where somebody stands up with a word and they're like, God's mad at you, but he loves you, but he's mad at you, but he loves you, so it'll be okay? They cover every base. I'm just letting you all know, the Apostle Paul says that there's something better than that. There's something even greater than tongues and interpretation, and that's to prophesy. Amen? So we don't despise tongues and interpretation, but we need people to stand up and start prophesying and recognizing the role of the prophetic in the end time church. And there's a vital role. You don't want to be tricked. The Bible says many will fall away, even the elect, which means leadership that are faithful will fall away because they're lacking prophetic discernment on what's going on. And right now, this morning, the Holy Spirit is bringing discernment to my heart saying, this is something we have to handle as a community. There is so much value in this message, and it's not because I'm preaching it. It's because it's red letter. It's Jesus's words. And if we don't get it, there's eternal consequences. How many of you know we want to finish well? When we step into eternity, we want to finish well. And I'm telling you that if we don't get this message this afternoon, and it's not just my message, this is the word of God. If we don't get this in our spirits, in our hearts, and in our minds, it will affect our eternal position. You don't want that. You want to live right on earth. Can I just tell you, you're not a Christian just because you said a prayer in the third grade that you actually have to bear fruit to your Christian walk, to your Christian life. You don't get to live like hell and then come in on Sunday and say that you're a part of heaven. You're, you're not in the kingdom simply because you're a fan of the kingdom. You're not okay with God simply because you felt him in worship. That doesn't make you okay with him. Sometimes we get into the Christian culture where we're like, no, I'm good. I cried that day. I felt Jesus during that worship song. Even Saul loved worship because it soothed his demons. So don't let that be your barometer. Don't let that be your compass of being okay. Produce fruit that's consistent with a Christian walk, with a Christian life and Christian choices. There's letters, there's Pauline epistles that were written to churches that were living in wickedness, that confessed Christianity, that had crazy things going on. Can I just tell you all, there's a difference between being a fan of Jesus and actually being a child of God. Amen? Amen? There's things that we're just not allowed to hang on to. The Holy Spirit gave me this vision 
one day in prayer and Jesus and I were walking through the church and I knew that it was symbolic for the global church. And I'm walking through the church and I'm seeing people just like you, everyday believers. And they're walking around the church, they're greeting one another, they're saying hello, they're doing all the deal, all the stuff. But you didn't have heads in the vision. None of you had your heads. You all had black and white houses that were falling apart. And in the vision, I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, what's going on? And Jesus turned to me in the vision and he said, these are believers and we're gonna go open the door to their face and we're gonna see what's inside their house. So I started walking around, seeing Christians and opening these doors and looking inside and seeing cobwebs, bats hanging from ceilings, ghosts running around the rafters and through the staircases. And I turned to Jesus in the vision and I said, what am I looking at here? And he said, these are Christians who have become haunted houses. Literally their, their brains have become haunted by the past. They're being tormented by the ghosts of their history and they are choosing not to forgive. And I wanna tell you, we have to learn to forgive. Look, I married into a giant Filipino family. So I learned a lot about grudges. And guess what? Filipinos are half Spanish. And I've preached in some Spanish churches. And I know that Hispanics are really great at holding grudges. That we still remember the dirty look our aunt gave us and we'll hang on to it for 10 years. And be like, no, never again. They're never allowed to be around us ever again. And infighting and holding on to conflict because we were disrespected. Look, when you became a Christian, you lost all your rights to be offended. I don't know if you got the memo, but you lost all your rights to be offended when you became a Christian. But the great news is you gained the rights of the kingdom, which are far better than the rights you gave up. But you lost your right to be a bougie pain in the butt on social media. You lost your right. You lost your right to throw down in a parking lot of an HEB. You, you lost your right when you became a believer. That's not your role anymore. Your role is to set a different example, to turn the other cheek, to extend forgiveness and not the middle finger. Some of you are great at extending, but not forgiveness. Hey, I've been driving around a little bit in this area. I drove up here. I get it. I see it. You guys are great at sign language. God's trying to convict us because we're hanging on to things. We're, we're haunted by history, by the people that hurt us. We're not letting it go. We want people to pay a price for what they did to us. But the word forgiveness literally means to choose to pardon. That means I'm looking at you going, I'm praying that God would let you off the hook. I take it by those good amens, I just hit a sore spot. It means you're looking at that person that crossed a boundary in your life, that cheated on you, that lied to you, that touched you, that wasn't there for you, that hurt you. And you're saying before the Father, Father, show them mercy. Let them off the hook. That's what forgiveness looks like. 
But most often, we want to hold the gavel of justice. Let me tell you, if you were responsible for punishing the person that hurt you, you would punish them beyond what they did. You would be too cruel to them. Because you can never judge a situation when you have unforgiveness in your heart because it distorts your vision. I had a dream where Jesus and I were standing outside of a church. And we walked inside, and I don't know what you say in Eagle Pass when you have a good service. But down in Houston, we got different language. We call it hucking and bucking. When the service is good, right? When the spirit's flowing, even that big old grumpy fat old lady in the back of the room gets up and does a little dance. We call it hucking and bucking. We're like, oh, it was, a, it was a lit service. We were hucking and bucking. The spirit was moving. And in this dream with Jesus, I walked into a service just like that. And then the pastor got up and said, all right, y'all, it's time to greet one another. So people started walking around, greeting each other, shaking hands, giving hugs. But everyone from their elbows down to the tips of their fingers were covered in blood. They would hug each other and smear blood all over the back of their suits, or women were smearing blood all over each other's dresses. They were getting blood all over the seats. Blood was dripping all over the carpet, making a mess. Everywhere they went was blood. And I asked Jesus in the dream, I said, what am I looking at here? And he said, these are Christians that have gone back to the river of my blood that was poured out on Calvary that covered sin. They're going back to the river of blood that covered offenses. And they're reaching back into the flow of blood and pulling out from under the blood offense. They're pulling out unforgiveness. They're pulling out past hurts, past trauma. They're taking it out from under the blood. That's why there's blood everywhere. They're not receiving what I did. Unforgiveness is dangerous because it starts to produce an atheistic heart posture and you become an atheistic Christian. Because the point of Calvary is forgiveness. And when you deny that forgiveness, you deny Calvary's strength. And it starts to breed a lack of faith in you. And you eventually fall away. The word's very clear on this. How people slowly get led astray through not letting go. By hanging on to bitterness. All of a sudden, Jesus and I were no longer in the church in my dream. We were in this wooded area. We came through a clearing, and as clear as my voice is through this microphone, I could hear the sound of shovels hitting the dirt, and I saw Christians digging up graveyards, digging up caskets and opening up caskets, and there were Christians yelling at dead bodies inside caskets. And in the dream, I said to Jesus, I said, what, what are we looking at? And he said, come look at the casket. So in the dream, I come and I look at this open casket thinking I'm going to see a dead body, but I don't see a dead body. Instead, I see a mirror. And everybody's yelling at the history of what hurt them, but they're becoming the history that hurt them. I'll never be like my mom. And then you turn into your mom. I'll never be like my dad. I'll never be like this person that did this to me. And then you have bitter root judgment. You become worshiping the thing that you fear. And as an image bearer, you start giving back the same image of the thing you fear. Jesus said these are Christians that have refused to let the dead bury the dead. And they're going back and they're digging up old things. They're hanging on to unforgiveness. 
But there's three really important reasons we need to understand forgiveness. One, a lack of forgiveness will keep you out of heaven. I don't care how many weekends you lived like hell and came and prayed the sinner's prayer on a Sunday. If you don't bear the fruit, you weren't saved. Words are empty without action. We love to give ourselves exceptions, even to the point of knocking on the door of hell. But I'm just telling y'all, there's fruit to salvation. How many of you would agree that you cannot argue with the word of God? And you didn't raise your hand or you didn't say amen or you don't agree, then you're not a believer. If you disagree with the Bible, you're not a believer. You're deceived. The Bible was never meant to bend to your will. You were meant to be adjusted to it. The Bible is a plumb line, not that we get to pick and choose and say, well, you know, that was just in their culture, not in our culture. No, you're not a theologian. Shut up. I mean, too many Christians that, that are on the verge of atheism that are like, well, the Bible was written by man, so I don't believe it. And it's like, okay, so is physics. You believe that. So is your math book. You believe that. So is your science book. You believe most of that. Yeah, but listen, I've sat down with the Dead Sea Scrolls as part of my PhD process. I got to sit down with the Dead Sea Scrolls for an entire weekend under this thick of glass being monitored by armed security. And the Bible says what the Bible says. It's not cloudy or over-opinionated. You are. There's places in the Bible where God's silent and you decided to fill it in with crayon. He don't need our help. We need to readjust and realign and realign with what the word says. Well, but I prayed that prayer that one time and I really meant it. That's great. Luke, do you believe we can lose our salvation? I'm not sure, but I don't want to find out. I don't want to play such a risky game that I'm on the verge of losing it. I don't think people can necessarily lose their salvation, but I think that they were never saved in the first place. Right now, the statistics are 85% of high school graduates fall away in college. 85% of Christian professing high schoolers fall away in college. That's a pandemic. That should have us freaked out. But there's no outrage. It's just a part of building your testimony. I don't think that they fell away when they went to college. I don't think that they were saved in the first place. I think they loved the culture, but not the man. I think they let their church move into their heart, but not Jesus. They let all the right Christian music move into their heart, but not Jesus. I'm going to read you out of the good book. How does that sound? Matthew 6, 14. You ready? We're going to go on a journey. We're going to read something in the Bible that we wish wasn't there. Okay. You ever do that? You read it and you're like, oh, I don't like that. I have that happen all the time. That's how I know it's Jesus. <laughs> Plus it's his book. This is what it says in Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Let's stop right there. Isn't that awesome? But do you see the arrangement that we made with him? He said, if you forgive others, not if you beg me in the quiet place in your closet to forgive you for what you did. If you forgive others, 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Awesome, you'll forgive me if I forgive others. Do you see that there is a linchpin there that we have removed? You will forgive me if I ask. I will forgive you and I will hear you if you forgive others. Verse 15 says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. Let me ask you a question. Can unforgiveness get into heaven? So neither will you because you're carrying it. You realize the baggage that you have will stop you from walking through the door? You got to drop the baggage. You got to let the Holy Spirit heal that so you can push delete and forgive and you can fit through the door. I had a dream that I was getting on an airplane with Jesus and he was my pilot. I had a private jet in the dream. I'm not that dude. I've had people come up to me at events and conferences and be like, the Lord told us to buy you a jet. And I'm like, no, just give me the money. Like, do you know, we already have three orphanages. Do you know how many orphanages we could build for the price of a jet? Like that money could go into the kingdom far better. I, don't, I would much rather fly commercial where there's uh, mechanics looking at the planes all day long than jumping on some plane that one guy looked at a month ago. <laughs> and I'm getting on this plane with Jesus and I start walking out you know, to, the, to the tarmac where the plane is. I start going up the steps and boom, I can't get in the door. Boom, I can't get in the door of this beautiful private jet with Jesus. And I'm like, what's going on? And he turns around and looks at me and he's like, baby, you, you can't fit through the door if you're carrying all that. And I start looking and I've got all this luggage. And it's nice. It's all Louis Vuitton luggage. <laughs> and I'm like, this is my stuff. Like, this is my swagger, Jesus. And he's like, yes, all that baggage has a great price to it. It's costing you a lot to carry. So I ditched it and got on the plane. I'm just telling you, there's places that the Holy Spirit wants to take us. But baby, you ain't even gonna get into heaven if you don't forgive. The sign, one of the signs of salvation is forgiveness. It's that you extend forgiveness. It's the point of Calvary. How dare you withhold that from anyone else? How dare you allow yourself to hold anyone else hostage to hell because they hurt you? What happened to you wasn't good and it wasn't right. And it doesn't, look, can I just tell you, the church has become really great at sweeping things under the rug and hiding skeletons in closets. And I'm not telling you to do that either. In some families, people get molested and then they say, we don't talk about that. Not in God's family though, right? We're supposed to be able to, look, forgiveness means that an offense took place. If I have to forgive you, it means either you did something wrong to me or I'm easily offended. Either way, I've got to admit something happened. The second reason that we need to learn to forgive, Matthew 18, 21 talks about the unforgiving debtor. I love this story. This guy gets forgiven all of his debt. He goes before the king and the king forgives him. He's supposed to go to jail, to prison, and, and basically work it off. 
But the king goes, no, this is what, we're not gonna send you to jail. I'm gonna forgive the debt. He leaves there forgiven and he finds somebody that owes him a little bit of money. And he grabs him by his clothes and he's like, you're coming with me to the king, you owe me money. And he throws him before the king and he's like, this guy owes me money. And the king was so disgusted by this unforgiving servant that he locked him up and the other guy got to go free. He locked him up forever, which means the second reason that you need to learn to forgive is because it keeps you bound in a prison. It doesn't keep them bound in a prison. It keeps you bound in a prison emotionally, mentally. You go to the Walmart and you see that person that you didn't want to see at the grocery store and you immediately start ducking down aisles. Don't play with me. I know you because I know me. I see somebody I don't want to see and I'm like, oh, snap. Like, okay, I saw, um, I was just... Uh, hold on, I know how to handle this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm having a phone call with nobody just to not have to interact with this person that hurt me or I hurt them or things got awkward, whatever. Wouldn't it be brilliant to walk out of your house to go to the supermarket, the gas station or the store and not have your stomach sink when you see that person? The third reason that you need to learn to forgive is because time's too short. Can I tell you, we got work to do? If you're living in 2022 and you think everything's fine, you're nuts. It's not fine. It's weird out there. There's civil, racial, political unrest, all sorts of bonkers things going on. You of all people in Eagle Pass know that things have changed. You got visitors. <laughs> I went to Taco Bell last night in Del Rio and I was not prepared. <laughs> I was going through the drive through lane and there's an entire encampment of people standing right there begging for change. And I'm like, what is this? Like, I'm like, why are these guys all here? Like, I don't get it. Because we hear about it in Houston, but it's not in our face. Things are going on in the world. Time's too short. You know, Jesus is coming back. I don't know if y'all still believe that, but he is. He's right now interceding on our behalf before the Father, literally asking God, can I go now? Can I come back now? Can I return now? He's ready, but he's waiting for the church to get on the same page. He's coming back and time is too short. Let me put it this way. Do you really want to miss your milk and honey for people that are just satisfied with water? God's got some beautiful promises for you, but you're bound up with unforgiveness for what they did to you. They need to pay for what they did to you. You know, I love Easter. Easter's my jam because my testimony is a resurrection story. God spared my life, survived a, a six and a half hour heart surgery. I was a drug addict, overdosed. God saved my life and I had an encounter with Jesus and literally I was slated to die and had died in the emergency room and the Lord brought me back. My story is a resurrection story. That's why I love preaching on Easter. Plus I'm a pastor's kid. So I grew up in the 70s and 80s going to Easter service and then looking for Easter bunny treats and like egg hunting and all that stuff. 
We celebrated a Jewish rabbi by eating ham. I loved Easter. But most churches, look, I'm a traveling minister. That means almost every weekend. This is my 20th year, by the way, of full-time traveling ministry. Can I tell you that the summertime is lean because people skip out on church and don't tithe and don't participate because they got trips and things they're doing. And then you've got Halloween, you've got Thanksgiving, you've got Christmas, and you got New Year's that you're not on people's schedule because they got programs. There's some lean times, baby. But let me just tell you what, when a church invites me in to preach on Easter, Man, God shows up every time. We have countless saved and prodigals rededicating their lives. And a church brought me in, and I was so excited to preach. We got done. It was a, it was a hucking and bucking service. A bunch of people got saved. A bunch of people came back home. A bunch of prodigals that were guilted into coming to church rededicated their lives. It was awesome. And then at the end of the service, there's one old lady standing off to the side of the stage and she looks like she just ate a lemon, right? Her arms are crossed and she's mean mugging me. And I'm waiting for her to walk away because the whole sanctuary's cleared out. Just the pastor and me and a few staff. And finally I'm like, can I help you? And she's like, yes, I need to talk to you. Can you please come down here? I was like, okay. Older women love to scold me. I don't know what it is. If it's the tattoos or what, I don't know. But they love to get after me about things. So I'm like, all right, I'll go through it. I'll take a sucker punch. I'll deal with it. So I get down there, and she goes, I have something I need to confess to you. And I was like, oh, okay, what's up? And she's like, I hate your guts. And I was like, uh, sorry, what? And she's like, I hate your guts. And I was like, why? And she's like, I don't like you. I don't like the way you look. Um, I don't like the way you talk. And I was like, oh, okay, well, kind of personal. <laughs> and she's like, and in my opinion, you can't be a man of God with all those tattoos. I said, really? She's like, yeah, you can't be no kind of man of God if you've got full arm sleeves of tattoos. And I said, all right. Um, I wasn't born saved. I got here as quick as I could. And she goes, my husband was a deacon down the road at a church, okay, for many years. And we had a good position in the church. We were well-respected in our community. And I was like, okay. And she's like, and then the pastor found out that he smoked two packs a day, and he fired him. And he said, you can't be any kind of man of God while you're smoking. And if he can't be a man of God for smoking, you can't be a man of God for having tattoos. But do you see what happened to her? She got rejected, she got offended, and she hung on to unforgiveness. Now she's forcing everybody under the filter of her pain. Because I haven't forgiven, because I haven't let go, I'm gonna force you under the reality of my pain. And you're gonna just have to deal with it. But look, I grew up in the punk rock movement. I'm not about to back down from a fight, I'm a knucklehead. I'm an OG knucklehead, all right? I'm like, I'll get belligerent. I don't care. I'm from the kingdom. I'm from the west side of the kingdom, okay? You heard, okay? So I don't care. <laughs> 
But I'm like, all right, well, let, you know, let's talk through it. So I grabbed the pastor. He comes over. I said, she has a confession to make about hating my guts. <laughs> we talk her through it. We pray with her. She manifests a demon, goes through inner healing, gets delivered. Now her and her husband are successful pastors at a church in Pasadena, Texas. God restored them, right? Healed their rejection and brought them to wholeness. Brought them completely full circle to wholeness when they were rejected and not doing what God had called them to do. Unforgiveness will cause you to hold people hostage. Who are you holding hostage this afternoon? Is it a kid? Is it a loved one? Spouse? Maybe they cheated on you and you said you forgave, but you really didn't. We'll just let that linger. <laughs> My daughter is a drama queen. We got one kid. She's 10 now. She's up to here on me. Trips me out how fast she's growing. She's a drama queen, though, and I have no idea where she gets it from. <laughs> when she was itty-bitty and she'd start crying, she'd stop crying and tap me to make sure I was looking at her <laughs> so I could see her cry. I'd look at her and she'd be like, oh, like she'd start crying again. I'd be like, wow. She's selling it. She knows. She already knows. You see in children the seeds of iniquity. You see it fast. My nephews would like show up with chocolate smeared all over their face and deny that they ate any chocolate. <laughs> like you see the seeds of iniquity forming in children. But my wife was putting her in the car one day. You know, when my baby was little, like I married a Filipino, right? I'm Norwegian, so my baby's a Norgepino or, or a Philoegian. And, but when Asian babies that are mixed are young, they don't look mixed. They just look Asian because they're fatty boom baddies, right? So she had like the little Michelin legs, right? Just a little fatty, and I loved it. And, and, and she had these little half moon eyes, right? Because she was chubby. And so she didn't look mixed. She looked like I adopted her. I'd take her out in public and people would be like, is she, is she yours? Is she? I'm like, yeah, she's with me. <laughs> Don't call anyone. She's fine. But my wife was putting her in the car seat one day and my wife was buckling it and it pinched a little bit of that baby fat right in her inner thigh. Yeah. Just a little red mark. Didn't draw any blood. No bruising. Just, just a little red mark. My daughter lost her mind. She cried. Like, you know when babies cry when they don't make noise? Kids when they're like... And you're like, breathe, do something. You're going to blow up. Like, just say something. And she's just... Like, just like screamed and I'm like, she acted like we chopped her leg off. And I was like, good Lord. Like it was a pinch. You're fine, drama queen. Then every day, all day long for the next four months, when we were putting her in the car seat, she'd go, she'd wiggle and go, boo-boo, boo-boo. And I'm like, that happened like four months ago. I would be putting her in the car alone and she'd be like, boo-boo. I'm like, no, that was mommy. Daddy would never hurt you. 
That's a mommy-daughter competition thing. I would never do that. I'm kidding. Sort of. But I tried to reason with my daughter when she was at that age. You can't reason with that. I'm preaching, and my wife calls me. We have this rule. If my wife calls me while I'm preaching, I pick up. Because she knows I'm preaching, which means if she's calling me, there's a family emergency. And she's more important than all the churches I preach at combined. So I got no problem turning it off and answering the phone. And so I pick up the phone and she's like, come home. Gemma has a temperature of 104 and her whole body's covered in sores. And I'm like, what in the world? So I leave the pulpit. I give it over to the pastor. I drive several hours back home. I get home and my wife and my daughter are in the emergency room. My daughter is hooked up to this little IV and she's got like a wooden plank on her arm so she doesn't move around and they keep the IV in there. And I'm like, what's going on? She's dehydrated. She doesn't look well and she's got sores in her mouth, down her throat, all over her face and arms. And we're first time parents, right? So I'm a helicopter dad. I know I'm overprotective. That's why I, I love living in Texas. I have ammunition. <laughs> They'll be, we had ADT come by our house that we just bought, and they're like, do you have any home security you'd like to purchase from us? And I'm like, nah, bro, I'm good. It's <laughs> like, are you sure we got alarms? I'm like, no, no, I don't need an alarm. I don't want them to hear me coming. <laughs> The castle doctrine, amen. But I'm like, I'm overprotective. So I get in there and they're like, your daughter has hand, foot, and mouth disease. And I was like, what's that? Like we had put her in daycare. We didn't know what hand, foot, and mouth was. We're first time parents. Nobody told us about it. And by the way, how do we have sophisticated diseases now? Like we're like, oh, it's multiple sclerosis. You know, oh, that's Alzheimer's or dementia. And then they're like, oh, you've got hand, foot, and mouth. It's like, oh, you got butt, face, and neck disease. <laughs> It's like, that's, you just named body parts. Like, I don't understand. You got toe, elbow, weave disease. I don't, it's just a thing. It's, it sounds like a medieval disease. Like, it, I was like, when was my daughter in London handling cattle and got hand, foot, and mouth? She's got the plague, you know? That's what it sounds like. And I'm like, that's a weird disease to have. So then my wife spikes a fever. She caught hand, foot, and mouth from my daughter from laying down with her and taking care of her for that night before I got home. So they said, we have to admit your daughter to the hospital because she's dehydrated. We can't release her until she drinks on her own and eats on her own. Now, my wife had just been fired by NASA because Obama was in office and he cut 80% of funding for NASA. So my wife and all of her friends lost their jobs. So now we're depending on ministry money to pay the bills and with ministry, with itinerant ministry specifically, you don't have a 401k, you don't have health insurance. And so now I'm working at Jack in the Box as an assistant manager, not even the head guy on the totem pole at Jack in the Box. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how we're gonna make a living. I don't know how we're gonna survive this. Like hospitals are expensive. Aspirin is like $75. Jello is 25. Can I just tell y'all, Bill Cosby had better be bringing me Jello if I'm paying $25 for Jello? I mean, I know I, old Bill Cosby, not the new weird one. The one I grew up with, the one selling Jello pudding pops. Pudding pops. That one. But I'm stressed out because my daughter is now in the hospital. My wife's at home. She has hand, foot, and mouth. And one of the side effects of hand, foot, and mouth is also that your fingernails and your toenails fall off. 
So, so it's getting weird. I don't know if any of you ever saw the movie The Fly. Yeah, it's gross. And so now I'm at the hospital alone with Gemma, and they're coming in every two hours to draw blood, to check her blood, to make sure that her blood sugar's not low and all this stuff, and I'm, I'm stressed out. She won't eat, she won't drink. Day two comes around, won't eat, won't drink. Day three rolls around. I'm like, Lord, there's no way we can afford this. They're bringing her hospital food, which by the way is not good. All right, they're not known for like <laughs> their expertise in cooking. It's like powdered eggs and gross stuff. So they're bringing that to Gemma. I'm like, baby, do you want some scrambled eggs? They got cheese on them. And she's like, my, my daughter's really polite, really sweet. And she's like, I'm like, okay, do you want some pudding? She's like, now they gave her a thing called Miracle Mouthwash. And Miracle Mouthwash numbs your mouth and your throat. So it, what had happened was those red sores were ulcers on her tongue and in her mouth and in her throat. That's why it hurt every time she swallowed, every time she ate or drank water. It hurt because they were open ulcers in her mouth. But Miracle Mouthwash numbs all that, so it's no longer an issue. But we couldn't get her to eat or drink because my daughter had the memory of pain. Well, all I know is that when I eat, it hurts. Well, it did, but I'm not eating now, so I don't hurt right now because I'm not eating. When I drank, it hurt, but it's okay because I'm not drinking now so it doesn't hurt anymore. No, baby, they gave you medicine. It, it won't hurt anymore. Didn't trust us, didn't believe us. So I call up grandma because the Lord gives me a divine idea. I call up grandma, say, can you come up and help? She comes up, sits with Gemma. I go to a place so anointed that I believe the Holy Spirit himself helped create this business. It's called Shipley's Donuts. So I go to Shipley's Donuts. I say, give me the freshest, hottest glazed donut right out of the rack. They give it to me. I go back to the hospital and I have it behind my back. And I say, Gemma, baby, would you like some eggs? And she's like, I'm like, how about um, some chocolate pudding? You love chocolate pudding. And she's like, I'm like, okay. And then she drank some water. And I was like, oh, like that was such a huge relief. Now I just got to get her to eat. So then I go, Gemma, would you like a donut? Right? I hold out the Shipley's bag and those little half Asian eyes got so wide, which is hard. They got so wide and she snatched that donut out of my hand like we keep her in the backyard. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen gremlins where they eat that bucket of fried chicken and like skin and bone is flying everywhere. That's how she ate that donut. And, and she wolfed that thing down and then all of a sudden, she wanted eggs. Then she wanted toast. Then she wanted pudding. She wanted all the other food that was there because that donut unlocked something in her. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that's what I wanna do with the church. There's places you don't go anymore. There's people you don't talk to anymore. There's relationships you don't have anymore because they remind you of the previous pain. You're not living your life. You are hostage you are holding someone else hostage and you've become hostage to your unforgiveness. Pride is a beast and it will cause you to hang on to unforgiveness. So they finally release my daughter. I pull the car around. I, I start putting her in the car seat. Boo-boo, boo-boo. I'm like, are you kidding me? The boo-boo was like four and a half months ago. You've been a human pincushion for three days. 
They've been poking you and taking your blood and, and you're worried about the, the thing that didn't even leave a mark? And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, but it hurts worse when it was from somebody you trusted. Even though it was less traumatic, less damaging, it hurt worse because you opened your heart. That's what's scary about love. That's what's scary about forgiveness. If I'm truly loving you, I'm looking at you and saying, I give you permission to reject me. I give you permission to lie to me. I give you permission to cheat on me. I give you permission to misuse me. That's what love is. Love says, I'm gonna extend myself. And that's a scary thing. Because we are entrusting others with what's most precious to us. And then when they hurt us, we lock up and we start to develop behaviors of self-preservation. Some of you have dated the same hot mess as you've always dated because you're trying to look for that person to heal you from the past. The, the, the type of person that hurt you will never be able to heal you. The person that molested you will not be able to heal you. The person that cheated on you will not be able to heal you. I chased the ghost of my ex-girlfriend and every girl I ever dated until I met my wife. I was looking for somebody that was like her that could make right what she did to me. But only Christ could do that. Only the Holy Spirit could heal that place in me. And I realized I needed to enter forgiveness. I asked the Holy Spirit, where are we right now as the body of Christ? He said, the body of Christ right now is Jonah and the whale. Y'all know that story? Two of you? Look, I know it's warm in here, but we'll still beat the Baptist to the buffet, okay? I'm gonna land this plane, I promise. And I don't give many landings. I just tell you I'm landing it. Jonah and the whale is this. Jonah was told by God, go to Nineveh. Jonah had unforgiveness in his heart towards Nineveh for how they treated prophets. So Jonah didn't do what God said to do. Instead, he ran the other direction. Does that sound familiar to any of you? God says, hey, go confront this issue. Go confront this situation, not to fight, but to heal. And we run from it. I don't need counseling. You do, trust me. We need the counselor and we need logical people as well. Cognitive therapy, baptized by the Holy Spirit. But you wind up running from what God told you to do. Jonah goes to another boat full of pagans and they're fishing and a storm kicks up and they're like, hey, we're gonna die. We've called out to our gods and it's not our gods. Who are you, stranger? And he's like, oh, I, I serve the one true living God. And they're like, oh no. And he goes, yeah, you're gonna have to throw me overboard because he's mad at me. <laughs> Essentially, he's like, I'm running from God. He's upset with me and they don't wanna throw him overboard. But eventually they do. They're like, well, we don't wanna die too. So they throw Jonah overboard and he's swallowed up by a great fish, right? Jonah and the whale, swallowed up by the whale. Here's the thing. Here's how it correlates to you. How many times has God told you to address something, you ran the other direction, and you wound up bringing your drama and your storm into other people's boats? New relationships that were just as defective as your last one. Because instead of getting it healed, you brought that storm into somebody else's boat. Now you're sinking ships. Then the whale of offense swallows you up. You got a choice to die in the belly of offense, and a lot of Christians do it. They leave churches, they say stupid things like, well, I don't go to that church anymore because pastor didn't feed me. I wasn't fed at that church. That drives me nuts, pastor. 
When people say, I wasn't fed at that church, that's not how it works. When's the last time you saw a shepherd pulling grass out of the ground, stuffing it in a sheep's mouth, massaging the sheep's mouth, massaging its stomach so it can digest? The problem is most pastors spend their ministry on the backside of the sheep, cleaning up that mess. It's not his job to feed you. It's his job to lay out the food. It's your job to starve or eat. People t- I have people come tell me like, I left that church because I wasn't being fed spiritually. And I'm like, you confessed to me six months ago about a porn addiction and now you're giving spiritual advice? We need to learn to let things go. Forgiveness does not mean that you return back to a friendship. It doesn't mean you go back to that relationship. Forgiveness doesn't mean going back to be in relationship again. It just means letting go. That person's not thinking of you. You're the one that's tormented. They're, they're chilling like Bob Dylan. They're, they're out doing something else somewhere else, not thinking about you. They're booty shaking at the club. They're not thinking about you. They don't even remember. They're like, oh, you're, uh, what's your name? Like, I've had people who have hurt me that I've texted after years of not talking to them. And then I get a text message back for them. New number, who dis? I'm like, oh, cool. I think I remember you. The final thing I said was that time's too short, right? You don't know when your number's gonna get called. You don't wanna step into eternity with unforgiveness. It's not worth it. There's a woman that I met in Arkansas. This woman was married for 10 years and her husband was lost. He wasn't a believer and she prayed for 10 years. Lord, please save my husband. 10 years, she cried out to God about it. The 10th year he got saved, radically gave his life to Christ and then pulled his wife aside and said, baby, listen, I'm a believer now. So I wanna be honest with you. I wanna be open with you. In the first five years, I had an affair. Can I come down here? Is that a, will it feedback if I come? Okay. He tells her, baby, I had an affair in the first five years of our marriage, but I'm a godly man now and I wanna clear the air and I want you to forgive me. She had prayed for 10 years for this dude's salvation. God, I'll do anything if my husband chooses you. God, I'll do anything if the father of our children gets saved. And she couldn't forgive him for the affair. So she divorced him after he got saved. She just couldn't, she was too prideful, too angry, too hurt. She couldn't forgive him. For 20 years after that point, she was then in her late 60s. For 20 years, she'd show up at this altar at church and cry out to God to help her. And he would say the same thing every Sunday to her. Baby, forgive your ex-husband. No, he lied to me. He tricked me, baby. Forgive your ex-husband. She couldn't do it. Finally, when she was like 68, she goes to the doctor for a checkup and they said, all your numbers are weird. Your white blood cell counts elevated. All your stuff's weird. We need you to come back in. We're gonna do more tests. We need to really check you out. So they start doing more tests. They do something called a PET scan to her. The doctor calls her back in and says, listen, there's no easy way to tell you this. You have stage four terminal cancer. 
You have cancer in your lymph nodes, in your lungs, in your heart, and in your brain. He said, you got about a week to a month. I recommend you find all your loved ones and make amends and handle your business because you are gonna die. That was on a Friday he diagnosed her with terminal cancer. On Sunday, she came to church. That's all she knew. She went with her mom. Her mom was in her 90s and her mom's blind. So she took her mom to church every Sunday. So she goes back to church on that Sunday. She's at the altar. God, please help me. Please help me, Father. Heal me. Help me. And he responded the same way he had always responded for those 20 years. Baby, forgive your husband. So she goes, okay, I choose to forgive him. Lord, I release him to you. Father, let him know your goodness. Let him know your kindness. Father, I release him from any guilt. This man stayed faithful to the Lord, never remarried, still carried a, a flame of fire in his heart for her for 20 years until he passed away from a heart attack. Loved her all the way to the end. So she forgave him and the Holy Spirit spoke to her at the altar and said, good, now I can use you. She stood up and for nine months, right when she stood up, revival broke out in this church. 600 people bum rushed the altar and revival broke out for nine months. And that was people healed out of wheelchairs, people healed from cancer, from diseases, from mental conditions, people completely set free, healed, delivered and saved in this church because she chose to forgive. She called her mom up on that same Sunday and anointed her mom with oil and her mom who was blind, we, we watched her eye sockets fill in. See, I was there the Sunday she got to share her testimony. So I'm standing in the front row getting ready to preach and up on the big screen, you see two things happen. Her mom's totally restored vision and then she puts up one PET scan that shows all these red and black spiderweb masses in her lungs and heart and brain. And then you see the next scan right next to it that's completely clear. All cancer was gone. She was completely healed. Because she chose to forgive. You don't even need to be a Christian to know that anxiety, stress, all those things have an effect on your physical body. Literally, endocrinologists don't know what comes first, depression or diabetes. They're so intertwined. There is a price your body physically pays when you hang on to unforgiveness. And she was totally set free, totally healed and totally delivered. And God used her and is still using her in ministry. She's praying for the sick and we're seeing them healed. I still go back and preach at that church and hear testimony year after year when I go back of what God's doing in her. Time's too short for you to be locked up so long. I want y'all to close your eyes. My prayer is that you don't let your pride swallow you up. That this afternoon you're brave that you get real with Jesus today. That you don't give yourself an excuse to stay in your pain and in your unforgiveness. You know, maybe you don't need to forgive somebody else. Maybe you're the person you need to forgive. That's a very real thing too. You can't hold yourself hostage when Jesus provided a way out. With every head bowed and eye closed, 
If you're in here and you're struggling with forgiveness, maybe for yourself or for someone else, I, I promise you, this is not a unique thing. Everyone with a pulse will have to get an opportunity to forgive at some point in life. So if you're in here now and there's something you're wrestling with with forgiveness, just lift one hand to the Lord. I'm not gonna call you up here. Just lift a hand to the Lord. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I see a lot of shoulder height hands going up. Don't be scared. Thank you. You can all put your hands down. A lot of hands going up all across the room. I'm gonna lead the whole room in a prayer. We're gonna pray this together. I can't mean it for you. You have to drum up your own sincerity. But I'm gonna lead the room in a prayer and then we'll see what the Holy Spirit does. But I want you to repeat after me. Jesus, no, come on, you're not at a funeral. You might've just had one, but you're not at one. Jesus, I break my agreement with unforgiveness. Forgive me for any unforgiveness that I've held on to. Jesus, I accept the work of Calvary. I accept the forgiveness provided. Jesus, bless my offender. Bless the person who hurt me. May they know your goodness. May they know your beauty. May they know your mercy. Father, I choose to pardon my offender. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your eyes closed and heads bowed. I'm gonna pray one last thing over you. Father, I pray right now. Everybody that prayed that prayer, Father, that they would know it's not a one-time prayer. You are not praying one time and immediately healed from all unforgiveness because Jesus loves you so much that he'll heal you in levels and in layers. You will forgive as much as you're able right now. And then as you become more mature in Christ, you'll be able to forgive deeper. So it's not that you haven't forgiven, it's that it's a process. Like Shrek says, you're an onion <laughs> and you're just peeling off the layers. But that's different than the devil reminding you of the trauma. Do not let your trauma identify you. You are not the worst thing that happened to you. You are not the trauma of the event. It's something that happened to you, but it's not your identity. We are living in a day and age of the offended Olympics, of people wanting to identify with their trauma to make them feel special. Your trauma does not make you special. Christ Jesus makes you special. Don't hang on to your trauma. Let only Jesus define you. Let only Jesus bring your identity. You are not an illness. You are not the trauma. You are not the byproduct of addiction. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High God, first and foremost. Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.